All right, welcome back to the Baseball America Dynasty Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Ponce. I'm here with my co-host, Matt Eddy. We're now about three weeks into the season uh, in total in your Dynasty Leagues, uh, your redraft leagues. We're going to run through some players that are moving in the minor leagues right now, some prospects that are making some noise that might be worth a pickup in a variety of different leagues. But uh, before we do that, Matt. How are, you, how are your teams doing at this point? Are you playing play a wide variety of formats? I'm tripping over myself, really. <laughs> yeah, I'm finding, uh, as I'm sure many managers are, that the the pitching outcomes are more favorable than the batting outcomes right now. I have I have one team that is hitting about seemingly about 200. Um, <laughs> that is notionally a contender. You know, we'll see. But pitching wise, I can't complain. How about you? Yeah, I feel like the, the teams where um, I focused on pitching, which is mostly points leagues, are doing fairly well. Mm-hmm. Um, and even a lot of the plays that I made a little bit later in terms of, you know, the, the names that I, I've mentioned in some of my articles, guys like Ty France, guys like Jeremy Pena, so far so good. And have paid off uh, and then been able to, you know, grab have a lot of uh, um, sort of uh, help-ins or whatever you want to call it of Anthony Rizzo right now. Um, I thought the price was really good during the, the off season. Um, he wasn't even somebody that I think I wrote about or expected to, to roster as much as I did, but looking back, I mean, I have him on, you know, if I have a dozen teams, he's on like six or seven of them, uh, Ty France, I have everywhere. So I've had some hitters that have been good, but like some of my big names, you know, I've had like Mookie Betts on a bunch of different teams. He hasn't really done a ton. He's stolen a couple bases. He's been okay, but it hasn't been the production that I've anticipated. Carlos Correa, kind of the same thing. Um, a lot of names. I don't think it's it's isolated, but it's early. It's April. Things change in a dime as the season gets going. You know, you want the guys that finish well or have a good, you know, final four months because <laughs> yeah. ultimately you can kind of, you know, adjust things, figure it out. But I think this time of the year is a great time to, you know, take a look at some players who are getting a lot of playing time opportunity um, or if it's the minor leagues, guys that are maybe showing some skills or production that we haven't seen before. Um, and depending upon the depth of your league, I think that it's important to um, be aggressive this time of year and try to get on top of these guys. And, you know, if you have you know, one of these situations where you can make moves multiple times a week or you're not limited, um, go after some of these names. Because even if you drop them in a few weeks for the next guy that pops up, um, you know, it, it's not bad to be transactional this time of year because – often you'll hit on you know somebody that turns out to be a pretty good prospect or a trade piece for you later in the off season uh, or excuse me uh, during the season when you when you need that so um matt let's go into it a little bit you have some names here that you consider dynasty risers uh some hitters in particular we're going to start off with here sort of an old name that's now new guy at one point who was considered you know an interesting power prospect in the tampa bay system um, I think he actually was a minor league free agent this offseason. That's Moises Gomez, uh, now the Cardinals. He's hit uh, what, 10 home runs at this point, 11 home runs at this point, uh, leading into games on Friday night. What are your thoughts on Gomez and how deep of a league are you going after him? Uh, yeah, Gomez intrigued me in, in 2019 with the Rays. He, what he, what he showcased a lot of power, but also a lot of strikeouts. Uh, he's cut the strikeouts way back while hitting for power. Thus far, it's early. You know, Springfield does favor hitters, especially power hitters. But 
I don't think this is entirely a mirage because he had the foundation in place previously. I think what's interesting is how well the Cardinals have done at getting the best out of some of these types of hitters. Uh, some of their own signees like Juan Yepes, Lars Newbar. They even got something out of Nick Plummer last year before they let him walk. So I, I do have a degree of confidence that Gomez is certainly not as good as he's shown, but is you know is on his way to a AAA promotion fairly soon and could uh, could continue to if he continues to hit could make his way to the majors later on. So for me, uh, twelve teamers I would say for certain he's he's worthy of a pickup. Yeah, and the numbers so far: four thirty six, four seventy five, and a uh, one thousand fifty five slugging percentage. Yeah, ten homers, <laughs> twenty runs scored, twenty one RBIs. Um, it's twenty three percent strikeout rate. That's down. From 38.2% at the same level last year um, while he was still with the Rays organization. Walks are down a little bit, but it looks like he's getting a little bit more aggressive in the zone. He's making more contact, um, and he's swinging and missing less. So I think that's really encouraging. Sometimes, you know, it's a matter of um, a player just sort of getting that that change of scenery, you know, different coaching, whatever it might be, different offseason training. I know we don't know specifically um, what it was, but – you know, so far so good. Um, you know, he's really shown sort of a different profile than he had shown previously. I mean, there's still some swing and miss there for sure. Um, but I think, you know, when he's swinging at the right pitches, he's making contact more frequently. He can deal with some of the swing and strikes. So that's a good one, definitely. Um, next name that we had on the list here is a uh, another Guardians pro a Guardians prospect. We have a few of them on the list today that we'll talk about. It felt like another Guardians prospect because I feel like every time I write about Fab every week or a prospect you should pick up, or I do, you know, my 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 Ponce of View article. Uh, that name still makes me laugh. Shout to, uh, out to Josh Norris, but um, I I feel like I'm always looking at Guardians players now, like hitters pitchers like there's just you know guys that are close to the majors guys that are years years off it's just such uh, a wealth of talent that they have at this point and a lot of interesting players i think for dynasty especially when you consider you know how well they've done developing players um pitchers as well as hitters um you know at the major league level even like there's been so many guys that have come through their system very few um haven't sort of reached at least like their 75th percentile sort of outcome or whatever you want to say you know um you still get some pretty good players um but guy here milan uh tolentino i hope i said that correctly um middle infield prospect they had taken back in 2020 i believe he was a california prep prospect talk mm -hmm. to me a little bit about uh tolentino how deep a leagues you're picking him up in or how shallow should i say and what sort of production should we expect going forward like, what is he showing in 2022 yeah, uh, Cleveland definitely favors younger players in the draft and internationally, just <clears throat> naturally. So that they tend to have one of the younger farm systems. So so every year you're going to want to look at the low A Cleveland affiliate and say, oh, this guy's hitting. Maybe this guy's a dude. And I think that, that was the case last year with Angel Martinez, Yonkenzi Noel. And I think we're seeing that this year with Tolentino, who's, a, as you mentioned, a, an infielder. He's playing all over the place on the infield. Left-handed hitter. I mean, the numbers are, are crazy. He's hitting 380. He's walking at 18%. He's showing some power. Um, all, all indicators are there that he's hitting the ball with more authority and on a better trajectory to continue to get results. So, And 
don't take likely don't take lightly the the breakouts in the Carolina League. It's a rough place to hit, <laughs> especially this time of year. So Tolentino, I'm I'm definitely all over him in like you know 16 teams for certain. I would I would be looking at him, but I, I like his upside quite a bit. Yeah, and I think like maybe even you know depending upon what your league setup is like, you could maybe even go a little bit shallower than that. Um, I, the thing that I find um, sort of most interesting about Tolentino is, is is the approach. Is he has he's you know sort of a tooled up player, um, but he's you know walking more than he's striking out, um, and he's just making really high level swing decisions at only 20 years old, as you said, in a, in a difficult league, a, di- a difficult full season assignment. Um, so that's one of those things where you know, that sort of jumps off the page at me, even beyond some of the other production that, you know, depending upon who he's facing, et cetera, um, you know, could be impacted or where he's hitting. Um, he's not somebody that's, that's, you know, chasing a great deal. He, you know, it's a, it's a plus chase rate. I believe it's under 20%. Um, his contact rate is around 80%. Um, and he, you know, swings um, at pitches over the plate. So it's not like, you know, it's one of these situations almost like a Nolan Jones where he's almost overtly passive to the point that it sort of hurts his production. Um, it's good to see that he's sort of balancing the two. And it, it's really interesting because this is sort of the, the profile of a player that I like to chase where there's some baseline of skills, some versatility defensively. You know, he's tooled up. But he has the most important tool, and that's the hit tool that, you know, even if the, the power production at this point is fringy average, as that guy matures, as he grows, especially if he's, you know, a high level um, instincts hitter where he understands the strike zone, he's identifying pitches uh, and has good bats at ball skills. Those guys develop more power typically over the course of their career versus the big power guy who's th- tr- three true outcomes trying to become more of a contact hitter you don't see that happen as much so he's somebody that i think even if you look at the power production and say you know i don't know if this guy's going to hit for a ton of power he doesn't have a home run in 2022 but you know is obviously you know hitting 383 i think you can sort of take a step back say he's 20 years old it's a tough assignment as you said not a great hitter's environment um and he's doing these things against advanced competition. That's the kind of player that I would want to, you know, gamble on. Maybe even in a little bit shallower than 16. I think any any place where like 125 to 150 prospects are rostered, I would probably take a shot on him. Because um, I think if the power does start to come, um, even if it's, you know, four or five home runs or whatever over the course of this half a season, um, that's the guy that I would definitely chase and say, hey, you know, that's the kind of thing where he can make that jump uh, and potentially provide more power. But uh, let's move on to the next name that we have here. Uh, that's another <laughs> another Guardians prospect, and that's Tanner Beebe. Um, interesting arm, uh, another one within the Cleveland organization. Um, I don't think at this point we should be shocked. But you had mentioned Beebe, actually. So what sort of jumped out to you about uh, about good old Tanner? Yeah, our, our spring training scouting reports from uh, Kyle Glazer, he, uh, Tanner Bibby was one of the arms the scouts really came back favorable on for, for Kyle. And I think they zeroed in on the fastball and the slider, and Bibby has used those to great effect uh, so far. He's a he's a high A Lake County, uh, 18 strikeouts, two walks, and 11 and two-thirds. So, you know, it's a really, really nice 
strikeout minus walk rate. Uh, he is allowed only one homer. So, you know, I think there's some some reservation about him being a starter long term. But I mean, for now, you're definitely gonna take a take a flyer on this guy, especially at the acquisition cost, which is nothing right now. Yeah, and he's another one of those guys where it's like, you know, Cleveland gets him in the fifth round last year, you know, immediately comes into the organization and, you know, is now providing production. And he didn't pitch, you know, out of the draft last year, but um, so far in his three turns with Lake County, he's been great. And I'm actually going to be uh, heading out to the Lake County area. Um, to catch the the staffs between Akron and Lake County. It's about 45 minutes between the two stadiums. I'm going to stay right in the middle. And I'm going to try to get a Spino. I'd like to see BB, maybe, you know, Logan Allen, um, you know, Xavier Curry, um, Gavin Williams, Doug Nikhazy, Tommy Mace. Like, there's so many different arms that are on these teams that it's remarkable the amount of talent that's sort of uh, nestled in that little corner of the country between those two squads. So, I want to get out there. I want to see him. Um, hopefully I get to see Tanner BB pitch uh, at least a few innings. I'd like to see him go a little bit longer. Uh, but when mm-hmm. you consider the fact that, you know, this is a guy fresh out of the draft. Um, this is his first experience, you know, pitching professionally. There's no reason to, you know, not sort of slow roll him here and make sure that he's, uh, you know, primed and ready to go a few more innings, maybe later on in the year and then progress further uh, into 2023. It's amazing how they keep on churning out pitching prospects. It's just their ability to identify talent and then, uh, bring it into the organization and, you know, sort of develop that further is, uh, pretty remarkable. So let's move on to the next one here. This is a really exciting guy. I'm going to probably butcher his last name. <laughs> Jackson Choro. Correct. Uh, Jackson, that's what I would say. Say it again. Jackson Chorio. Jackson Chorio. So there you go. Of uh, Milwaukee Brewers uh, prospect, outfield prospect, correct? Talk to yeah. me a little bit about him. I don't know a ton. I know that he's been popping a little bit uh, in extended spring training. So talk to me about that. Yeah, he's showing some power out in Arizona, extended spring. You could, uh, Brewers player development, their Twitter account has some of the highlights. Uh, what's interesting about him is he, as an amateur, played some shortstop. Uh, the Brewers have him in center field. He, he played very well in the Dominican Summer League last year. You know, we have a, it's a wide base of skill. He, he hits for average, hits for some gap power, good control of the strike zone, good reviews in center field. He's just one of these really wide foundation guys who I think has a really good chance to pop when he gets to the Arizona Complex League later this year. And the, the Brewers are developing a pretty good track record in Venezuela. They have Hedbert Perez and uh, – Jefferson Caro. So they have, they're, they're building what could be a Venezuelan uh, pipeline of talent. And I think Chorio has a chance to be one of the best from that group. Yeah. And he was ranked number 10 uh, in our Brewers rankings uh, done by Ben Badler, who, of course, uh, knows the international scene as well as anybody. Um, we had a 50 extreme on him. That grade might even be coming up uh, by the end of the year uh, based on these reports. And she said, if, you know, once he comes stateside, and starts to produce this is somebody who might be owned in some of your deeper leagues um and i think i had said this uh during the off season actually about Adele amador pat myself in the back there uh, but i did this in my 30 team league where you know i made a trade for another player where there was probably a gap in value that had to be covered 
And, you know, I asked for Amador as um, sort of that, that second piece. I think Chorio could be potentially a player like that, where go after somebody else where you're offering something, but you're sort of upgrading maybe that second prospect slot in your roster for a guy that maybe you're questionable about or isn't producing or, um, you know, I know I had a, a particular prospect. I won't, I won't uh, throw the name out there that I that I had drafted pretty high this offseason in you know the throwback FYPD in my 30 team league, uh, and he didn't get assigned to uh, a full season club. Um, so for me, that was sort of a churn and burn spot, and that's what I ended up doing. But I think you know Torrio could potentially be a player like that. Um, that's you know maybe not somebody you you trade for directly because it's going to look a little suspicious, but. Mm-hmm. You throw it out there as like, oh, I kind of like this guy too. You know, I like to take a, a gamble when I have a spot. Um, even if you're a rebuilding team, that's always like sort of a smart play to go with. Um, next name that's on here, I think, is one that that I had brought up to you. Um, just sort of doing um, the BA prospect report, which I've really thoroughly enjoyed doing, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I pulled all the stats today. And, and as I think I said to you, it was like making the bed in the morning. It's like perfect. I had like all this stuff to like look at and look forward to almost, you know. Um, and it was neat and tidy. So uh one name that's popped up a little bit, and I think he actually made the hot sheet last week as well, is uh Dodgers double A middle infield prospect. He was graded as our best uh infield defender actually in the Los Angeles Dodgers system. Um ranked uh as the uh let me double check 14th overall prospect uh, in the handbook this offseason um that's jacob amaya he was in the arizona fall league um you can definitely see you know i got to see him for a few games you can definitely see the defensive ability the twitch out there um you know definitely somebody that's going to stick in the infield can in my opinion probably play shortstop pretty well um for a long period of time but there's been some questions about uh, you know, sort of his ability to hit. He was in Double A Tulsa uh, for 113 games last season. Saw, saw you know 476 plate appearances, slashed 216, 303, 343. Things have really turned around. He's already at 50% of his home run total from 2021. Uh, you know, repeating the level of Double A uh, in 2022. He's a 23 year old at at Double A, so he's not too old for the level at all. The production, I think, is age appropriate. He's cut down on the strikeouts. The walks are up. The power production is up. I've noticed some some things digging into the numbers a little bit, uh, just in terms of him eliminating some of you know his lower, we'll say you know negative five degrees to five degree launch angle swings uh, and contact. He, so he's he's getting more flush. Um, he's not selling out for power either. It's it's a nice sort of balance of um, you know sort of uh, the right launch angles that aren't necessarily you know over thirty degrees. He's not selling out for too much loft, like we've seen a lot of hitters do to add power. And he's hitting the ball harder, more consistently than he ever had in his career. Um, we'd have to dig a little bit. I don't know if he's if he added some weight, made some swing changes. Um, but it looks just from the numbers that he's made some tangible changes that are turning into results. And the numbers bear it out. You know, 340, 444, 811, a 15.9% walk rate to a 14.3% strikeout rate. He's got six homers already uh, in 63 plate appearances, 15 games. Um, So I think he's really interesting because he has those sort of um, foundational backing tools that we like to see. He can run, he can play defense. 
he can bring something to a club beyond just his offensive production. Now the fact that the hit tool, which wasn't bad, is taking a step forward, and he's hitting for more impact. And it's the Dodgers. <laughs> um, I'm gambling a little bit. You know, I think that he's a player that you could potentially add, you know, around 150 prospects to 200 prospects owned probably or rostered. Um, you can go out there. You can definitely add them off of your waiver wire. And the acquisition cost is probably fairly cheap. It will only be a, a couple of fab bucks. I don't think you have to go nuts. Um, maybe if he has a few more big games this weekend uh, and your, your, your waivers don't run until uh, Sunday night, then potentially he could go up. But I think at this point, you could probably get him up for a couple of bucks and he could turn into somebody that, you know, the Dodgers could, I don't want to throw the speculation out there, but could potentially trade. He could be, you know, a guy that gets thrown mm-hmm. into a deal if they need to, you know, reinforce their major league team come the deadline and he could step into real opportunity day one because there is some offensive production here plus the backing tools. What do you think about my mind? I like him quite a bit. Like his last five games, he's sitting 474 with five homers. Um, three of those bombs were in a uh, showdown with Moises Gomez at Springfield. <laughs> those are huge. <laughs> no, he, no, he's good. He's showing you everything you want to see. Um, you know, I, I was I was looking real quick at his splits last year. You don't see kind of that delineation there where he got better late or anything. This seems to be an off-season uh, development that he's carried forward, just maybe with more maturity, more experience, some swing tweaks perhaps. Um, but, yeah, he's very interesting. I wholeheartedly recommend him. And I think that best defender thing is so important um, just for keep for, for getting and keeping playing time in the major leagues. So, you know, Teams do give some of these up-the-middle guys a chance if they're young, if they can field. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's absolutely correct. Um, you know, overall, if a player has defensive value, it's a lot easier for him to sort of overcome that hurdle of getting full-time at bats at the major league level, which is paramount in the deepest of formats, because you're really just trying to maximize each roster spot for as many plate appearances and innings pitched as possible. That's really what the name of the game is in deeper leagues. It's just, you know, consistently getting that production and, you know, doing what you have to do to manipulate, you know, your rules. Manipulate's a bad word, but I think it's it's what you're doing. Like you're you're trying to, you know, figure out, all right, if I drop this guy and Adam uh, have these prospects that, you know, whatever the rules are, maybe I can move a guy back and forth between the minor leagues while he's prospect eligible. Mm-hmm. Some of those guys, you know, that get up, you know, right away and get some production could be interesting. One name I want to throw out there that we did not have on the list, by the way, when I wrote about today uh, in the BA prospect report, I think, you know, Kyle Glazer had actually suggested him as the pop-up prospect um, in the, uh, the hot sheet this week. And that's Stone uh, uh, Garrett, who was a Marlins prospect many years ago. I think he was a 2014, uh, 2014 eighth rounder, if I remember correctly out of the Texas uh, prep ranks and he's a little bit older. I think he's 26, but he's making a lot of hard contact at AAA. Uh, he's got some supporting skills. He can run a little bit. He can play, you know, some corner outfield uh, spots. He could be a guy uh, in Arizona. If there's some injuries um, that could get an opportunity uh, and could get some at bats and potentially produce a little bit of power and maybe some speed too. Um, hits the ball fairly hard. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search 
match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So that's another name to throw out there. I don't know if you had any thoughts on um, Garrett before we go into some of these uh, pitching prospects. Um, I'm just checking. He's a right-handed hitter. I, I know the D-backs are pretty lefty and switch hitter heavy. So, um, yeah, there could be a role if he continues to hit. Yeah, he's uh, just one of those names, you know, baseball is funny. He drops off the map for a little bit and then uh, and then he pops back up. Um all right, so let's go into some of these pitching prospects. These are guys that have popped for me just in terms of their stuff, um, not just, you know, the overall production. I'm going to beat the drum again here for one of my favorite guys. That's Bryce Miller, uh, right-handed pitcher out of Texas A&M uh, in last year's draft. Um, saw some videos this offseason, I'm sure everybody did, of you know him hitting 100 miles per hour, but the stuff was already tremendous prior to that. Um, gets a ton of ride on his fastball, really efficient spin access, Um it's got, you know, that lower release, that flat vertical approach angle that I know I always talk about in all my different articles. Um, <laughs> he's got a great slider as well. Um, he'll run it up to like 85, 86. It gets a ton of sweep. So it's one of those, you know, sweepy sliders that everybody's talking about right now that's in vogue. Uh, but he gets that sort of heavy uh, um, glove side movement. And we're talking probably over a foot of sweep based on some of the numbers that I've seen. Um and he gets that in an average of like 82 to 83, 84 miles per hour. And to see that level of sweep and that level of movement at that velocity, um, that's really a unique characteristic. Um, and it's a tough pitch for hitters to barrel up. Um, a lot of times it doesn't even get, uh, it, it has a really low, low swing rate sort of because of that. But he lands it in zone. Um, so it's an effective pitch. He's also got a curveball and uh, he's had a changeup that's been effective this year as well that has 11 mile per hour separation off of his fastball. He's a guy that it, it looks like he's really taking um, maybe a sort of a late bloomer. Cause he is 23. He was a, a senior draft pick. 
um, out of AM, one of those guys that was maybe impacted negatively, potentially, by the, the 2020 coronavirus shutdown of college baseball. Um, but Miller, for me, is someone who's just like a must-add in any pitching-heavy format. Like, if he's if he's not rostered in, in any of the battle leagues, I don't know if I checked or not, actually, <laughs> if I might have him, um, <laughs> I would go out and grab him. Uh, I think that, that Miller is somebody that, you know, the Mariners have had a fairly good track record with developing uh, pitching and adding velocity to a lot of different guys, adding some different pitches. I think they're a pretty smart organization. And, you know, I have a level, high level of belief that Miller could turn into a, a fairly good dynasty pitching prospect. And it looks like he's maybe even blowing past some of the relief questions that, that I myself had as one of his biggest fans. So if you, if you've had a chance to look at, um, at Miller at all, or we can jump into my next guy, who's a giant flamethrower. <laughs> no, the, I think you hit the key points. Uh, the Mariners are building a reputation as kind of a pitching development organization. You know, the Reds were interested in, you know, Brandon Williamson, as I'm sure every team would be. And also Connor Phillips, I think was in that trade. Yeah. Another really good arm. Um, They've, they've developed a lot of good players. I know Phillips has gotten high praise from Kyle Body, who I spoke with a few weeks ago on my 90th percentile podcast. Give that a look. Shameless plug right there. Um, <laughs> next name I wanted to bring up is actually a Reds pitching prospect. So nice segue, Matt. Um, Joe Boyle. He's somebody that I saw down the Cape. All six foot seven, 240 pounds of Joe Boyle. Wow. He looks like a power forward. <laughs> For real. Um, and he throws incredibly hard. Remember, he came out in the Cape League All-Star game, which is a showcase, of course, so he only pitched an inning. I think he threw 12 pitches. All of them were fastballs. I think his softest pitch was 99 miles per hour. He had a couple of 102s. I mean, this guy just has gas. He's toned down the gas a little bit this year. He's up the strikes, but because he throws so hard and it's such good movement that He's still sitting 95 miles per hour, touching 96, 97 pretty easily, but he's landing his fastball in the zone consistently, which is setting him up for success. He's got a pretty good slider. He's got a curveball as well that he sort of uses in lieu of a changeup um, that has decent, um, you know, um, vertical drop on it. So he plays that vertical game pretty well, and then he'll mix in a, a slider that I think, you know, tunnels and sort of plays off of his fastball well. I'm really interested in him. His, his stuff is popping on a lot of those different stuff plus type models. Um, so he's a name that, uh, depending upon how deep your league is, I'd go out and grab him. I think he's rostered in my 30-team league. Anything shallower than that, he might be available. Um, and, you know, pitching is hard to come by. And he might be somebody who moves fairly quickly uh, over the course of the season if he continues to throw strikes and have this sort of level of production. He could maybe see some major league time in 2023. And, you know, if you're a rebuilding team, it's great to sort of plan a year and ahead and try to jump on some of these guys that could potentially be rostered. A um, couple other names that are, I think, more fairly well-known, probably rostered in almost every league. Uh, that's Daniel Espino. I just wanted to bring him up because he's looked tremendous. I don't know if he's going to get major league time this year. I would highly doubt it. Um, but he isn't double A and sort of wanted to pose the question to you. Do you think it's possible that, you know, Espino, like, what's the situation Cleveland would have to be in for Espino to be up in, say, August and having some redraft value down the stretch? Um, he could be a, a – I mean, he looks so good at this point. I mean, I know he gave up 
a homer, but he struck out 11 consecutive batters before that. <laughs> and it was just clinical. And he was facing a good lineup, uh, a buoy lineup that has you know, a number of prospects that you know and you know can hit. Um, so it was sort of shocking just how easily he sat them down over the first few innings. Um, watch that. I think last Saturday or Sunday, that was a really impressive start from Espino. Yeah, um, most of the Guardians' breakouts of, of recent vintage have been the the college pitchers they've they've developed. Uh, you know, Tristan McKenzie has, has come up a high school pitcher. Uh, Espino, I, I think there'll be more of a slow a slow burn here. Like maybe next year after he gets half a season at Double A, you know, half a season plus at Triple A because he's not forty man eligible until after next until after the twenty three season. So I would I would expect next year to be more likely, but. Certainly, certainly very near term, given what he's shown. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one other name I wanted to bring up to is Ken Waldachuk. Um, left-handed pitcher, uh, you know, with the Yankees, he's with their double-A affiliate. In Somerset, um, you know, sort of prototypical pitcher build, 6'4", 220. Um, the stuff is up. Uh, he's sitting 94 in the fastball. He gets a fair amount of ride on it. It's a heavy spin pitch. He misses bats with a four-seamer at an above-average rate. He's got a nasty, nasty slider um, and a good changeup. Slider, though, you know, it's another one of these, I think the Yankees organization at least is calling them the whirly, but it's a sweeper. Um, you know, he gets a heavy, heavy glove side break. And we're talking, you know, 14-plus inches of sweep on average. He's missing bats at you know, a high rate with that pitch. Um, and it, it grades out incredibly high on a lot of stuff models. Um, just starter too. And, you know, he's somebody that, you know, it has consistently um, sort of showed feel for pitching as well. So if he's available and maybe some of our, the shallower leagues that are out there, maybe give him a, a, a pickup. Um, it's always tough with Yankees pitching prospects because they do, typically slow row these guys because if you're jumping to the majors, there's probably very few teams where it's more difficult and you have a more difficult home park to pitch in uh, than New York, but they've always historically loved their left-handed starters uh, in that park. So maybe he's somebody that could potentially get some starts uh, down the stretch here. If there are some injuries uh, to the Yankees rotation, any thoughts on Waldachuk? Oh yeah, I like him quite a bit. He kind of first popped on the radar when he literally allowed zero runs in seven starts at high A last year. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean the stuff is legit. Historically, the Yankees have favored left-handers. That hasn't been as much the case recently, but uh, well, you know, Waldachuk would definitely fit there. And he's also from the the St. Mary's program that produced uh, Corbin mm -hmm. Burns, Tony Gonsolin himself and there's one other prospect who i'm forgetting a pretty prominent pitching prospect who's also from that program so a very interesting pickup in my opinion yeah um i think he's somebody that's uh worth it worth an ad in whatever league you're in the next name that i wanted to throw out here i think uh depending upon how deep your league is might be rostered he might be somebody you're maybe thinking about adding adding in a, in a, in a shallower league and that is andrew painter First round pick of uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, I believe he's out of the uh, Cavalry Christian program uh, down in Florida last year. He's another big right-hander, throws really hard, sitting 95 to 96 miles per hour. Um, good breaking balls, you know, show and feel for the zone. 
He had, I think, 14 strikeouts in his start last week. Um, he's one of these guys that, you know, you have some questions because he's a, a prep player uh, and really young pitching prospect, but he immediately out the gate is showing that he has potential ace upside. This is something that we had heard about him for a few years, even leading up to the 2021 draft. He was one of the more famous prep pitchers at a very young age. He's now showing better production than I think he even did in high school last year. It's, you know, it's amazing what going into professional baseball and getting those opportunities will do. I believe up to this point, he has not allowed a single earned run in his professional career, which is remarkable when you're considering he's actually going four or five innings per start. And yeah, this, I did a double take when I was looking at this line here. <laughs> this is, this is ridiculous. I don't, I can't recall a high school pitcher coming in with this level of, of command of the zone. Uh, this is almost like Zach Grinky esque back when, back when he was a prospect. I, I would challenge the listeners to to send in uh, suggestions to the last high school pitcher who had this much command early in his career. Yeah, I can't even think of one off the top of my head. And I was actually checking for our listeners' enjoyment to see if he's starting tonight or not and if it's been announced. Um, doesn't look like he is. And- and, and notably, I mean, he's listed at six seven. So, uh, uh, you know, like Yuri Perez of the Marlins, we have a very tall pitcher with very good control of his pitches, which is uh, notable. Yeah, that's that's the thing is it's so rare to see somebody that's this big, this young, this synced up, you know, that has uh, this level of production when he's young for the level, frankly. Um, so he actually starts Saturday night. Uh, against Fort Myers. So unfortunately for the rest of us, that's not going to be televised. But if you know the way to do it, you can always sneak on to Baseball Savant. And uh, if you know the codes and check out some of those uh, stat cast stats, I don't think that's a secret. Uh, but hmm. an interesting way for fans to sort of connect with some of these minor league prospects and maybe you know rate that against some of the major league numbers that they've seen. Um, all right, as we wrap up the show here, Matt, I think we're out of all the different pitching prospects I wanted to mention Wanted to talk about a few guys that might be a little bit more redraft uh, interesting uh, or worth an acquisition if you're in a, a dynasty league and you know, you're looking to add some at-bats and maximize those plate appearances, as we said earlier. Got a few names here. Jack Sawinski of Pittsburgh. He was a former Padres prospect that popped a little bit in the early part of 2021, was then acquired, I believe, at the deadline, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Josh Palacios, Palacios, excuse me, Josh Palacios, now of the Washington Nationals, previously a Blue Jays prospect, uh, Robert Newstrom, outfielder uh, that's with the AAA uh, Norfolk um, Tide, which is the Baltimore affiliate. Kyle Bradish, who was just called up and makes a start today with Baltimore. Talk to me about some of these uh, players and the reason that you'd be tar- targeting each of them uh, in, a, in a league. Uh, yeah, in, in really deep formats, I, I like to look kind of next layer at some of the double A AA and triple A performers, especially ones on uh, some bad major league teams. You know, I mean, the, the Pirates, the Nationals, and Orioles, you know, the bad teams right now. Uh, Sawinski did get called up and has started three of the last four games, I believe, for the Pirates. He hasn't done a ton yet, but he, he did move up in the order to sixth yesterday, which I thought was encouraging. Um, Sawinski is uh, Jack Sawinski, um, high school draft by the Padres. 
as, so, as someone who's always popped for power production, um, it, muted a little bit perhaps by his, his home parks last year, San Antonio, Big Yard, Altoona also plays pretty big. Um, so he's somebody who's been on my radar in really deep formats, like 24 teams. I've, you know, And now that he has a chance, I think he, he becomes more relevant and even in smaller leagues because we'll see if he gets – if he runs with this opportunity at all and, and with the pirates, it, it could be a long leash. Uh, they did add him to the 40 man last off season rather than Calvin Mitchell, rather than Mason Martin. So there is some, there is some ingrained belief in him in the organization, in my opinion. Uh, Palacios, uh, the younger or older brother, I think of Rich Palacios of the, of Cleveland. Yeah. Very interesting player. Cause he's somebody who is quoted as saying, the 2020 shutdown and the, and the uh, alternate training sites really helped him get his career on track. He liked the lower pressure development um, setting that that provided. And he came out swinging in 2021 spring training, had one of the better camps among prospects. Um, got his first call up last year, didn't do much. Um, but now he's in a really favorable organization, I think, for playing time. The Nationals are not hitting well. Outfield is, is fairly weak. I, so I think there's going to be some opportunity for Palacios. I think if you're in a deep league, I would be looking at him. And, you know, Newstrom is one of these overachiever types. Um, would have been Rule 5 eligible had there been a Rule 5 draft. Might have gotten taken. Um, I know he's quoted in reports as saying that he takes pride in, in being an overachiever, a grinder, somebody who is putting up numbers even though he's playing – alongside some guys who have bigger reputations. So mm -hmm. I, I, I like that kind of mentality in a player. I think he's somebody who we might see later this year too in Baltimore. Yeah. And, and Newstrom, I wanted to sort of mention one thing too. Um, actually a lot of these guys, good OBP guy, uh, as a Sawinski too. Um, the Sawinski's, you know, career like walk rate, I think is above 10%. Um, sort of a similar story with Newstrom. He's cut the strikeouts big this year. Uh, he is repeating the level. He is 25, but, you know, as you said, not a guy with a, a ton of expectations. And once again, Baltimore always slow rolls these guys. Um, he's hitting 264, 357, 500 with a 259 batting average on balls in play, which is about 50 points below what you'd sort of anticipate or what would be considered an average or neutral luck sort of uh, batting average on balls in play. So, I would imagine that his production even could creep up. He has bookends, excuse me, identical uh, walk and strikeout rates, 13.1% uh, on both of those markers. So I think that's really interesting. And he could be a guy where uh, his production right now might even be a little bit um, negated by some of the, the luck just on balls and play. Uh, has a pretty good batted ball profile, um, not super line drive heavy, but he's, you know, hits a fair amount of ground balls and fly balls. Um, doesn't, you know, sell out tremendously for pull uh, side power either, um, has a fairly high pull rate, but he goes the opposite way, um, almost 40% of the time. So mm -hmm. it's a pretty equal split. You can use the entire field and, you know, as a lefty bat, that's pretty interesting. Um, especially some of the new rules come into play, uh, but he's doing this now even against the shift. So, uh, shots to Robert Newsom. I think he's a really good, interesting arm. Uh, excuse me, uh, outfielder. Um, yeah. As for interesting arms within the Baltimore system, Kyle Bradish uh, called up today. I wrote about him a little bit uh, this week in my Fab article uh, as somebody that I thought could potentially get called up, and you know was 
producing well. Um, I like him because he, he has a really interesting setup where he's ditched his four seamer almost entirely this year. And he's throwing his cutter, which is, you know, a 93 to 94 mile per hour cut fastball with heavy ride. Um, so, you know, he's getting induced vertical break at an above average rate for a fastball on a cutter, but it's moving, you know, it's not moving arm side the way a four seamer typically does. He's actually getting slight movement uh, to his glove side, which I think is really interesting. He mixed that in with a good curveball, a good slider. He'll show a changeup every so often. So it's a deep repertoire of pitches. Uh, even has that four seamer if you needed to go back to it. So I really like players like that because I think there's an opportunity here long term in dynasty leagues if you can acquire Bradish, um, where two years down the road, he could be a much better starter than you realize. Um, mm-hmm. He's a smaller school guy. I have a friend that does like baseball card stuff, and he actually said that Bradish doesn't even have any baseball cards. So <laughs> I guess that's sort of that's that's a good marker of like being off the radar. He's an 80 grade grit guy. That's right. <laughs> 80 grade grit. That's the new title of our podcast. Um <laughs> I, I love Bradish. That was such a good pickup by because the, the Orioles got him in that Dylan Bundy trade where they at the time they were trading an established, you know, major league veteran starter who was nearly free agent eligible for four no-name guys, but Bradish has developed into somebody who could eclipse Bundy's value. And you know, at the at the time, like the the cutter characteristics I remember were were a big deal. Like this guy is is very unique. It sounds like he's really rounded out his repertoire to become a starting pitcher. Yeah, um, and he's now getting the opportunity to showcase that. Um, speaking of folks who are showcasing with their opportunity, I'm going to give a couple of shout outs here to some league leaders in each of the battle leagues. Uh, we have a three way tie at two and zero, oh, uh, but up top is Dayton Marcos is Doug uh, Reader. He has the most points in the league at 838.9 total fantasy points. Remember, this is a head-to-head dynasty uh, uh, um, uh, points league that we're in. Uh, these are the BA dynasty leagues, the battles. Um, he's 2-0, uh, former BA writer, uh, uh, Marchiorelli, uh, New Bedford Whalers is 2-0. He's got 796.4 points. Chris Trankel, Two and zero, one of our our teammates at seven hundred and fifty six points. Uh, he's third in the league just based on the point structure, but he's also two and zero. We have two other battle leagues. Um, oops, I clicked on the wrong button there. Excuse me. Uh, two other battle leagues. I'm in first in the uh, the the second battle league. Toot my own horn there. I have nine hundred and twenty two points, Matt. It's my favorite team. Ooh. Uh, Winston-Salem Warthogs is number two. SPP is third, uh, also 2-0. And then we have another two 2-0s. There's five 2-0 teams in Battle 2. Kansas City Blues, also 2-0. And the Charlotte Knights are 2-0. So that's uh, kind of interesting. Uh, You already have a battle of a bunch of 2-0 teams in that league. Sort of the same story, actually, in Battle 3. Clinton Lumberjacks is number one. Kane County Cougars is number two. Dunedin Blue Jays is number three. The Toledo Mud Hens, four. And the Jolie Jackhammers, hopefully I said that correctly, um, is number five. Uh, just based on points, but they're all 2-0 and to begin the season. So a lot of interesting performances so far. I'm 1-1 one one in Battle 1 and Battle 3. As I said, I'm 2-0 and and doing pretty well in uh, Battle 2. But all those teams are standouts so far. 
at the end of the month, after it's, you know, a full month of play, I was thinking of maybe doing a quick write-up and just sort of showcasing some of the teams that are doing well. Wanted to shout them out here on the podcast as well. Matt, anything you want to say about your battle team or really anything in general before we wrap up here? Well, I was pleased to hear, because I'm not in those other leagues, that the theme of using minor league nicknames for team names throughout battle, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see that persisted because I named my team the Oneonta Tigers in our league. <laughs> Just kind of picking a, a fun, defunct minor league franchise that uh, other people picked up on it. So I, I think that's cool. Yeah, I kind of did the same thing. I have the Pawtucket Red Sox, the Lowell yep. Spinners, and the Auburn Double Days. So yeah, I have Auburn. all defunct, technically defunct teams. <laughs> uh, a couple of them I have some connections to uh, with Lowell and Pawtucket. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited. It seems like it's going well. Um, I like that that head-to-head points format as well uh, with the Dynasty component. Where we can pick up some prospects. We can pick up some, some of these guys, you know, uh, some of these players like – you know, a Newstrom or maybe Bradish if he's unavailable. I don't know if he is. Uh, and pick those guys up and start them from week to week. So it's an interesting format. It's going well so far. Hopefully it continues that, like that for many, many years. I'm going to try to continue to update folks at the end of these shows um, as to how some of the readers are performing because uh, it's all about them. And it was an opportunity for us to sort of, you know, play alongside them and discuss a similar format and, you know, just, Get to know him about baseball, right? It's always fun to talk baseball with folks. So, Matt, it was fun talking baseball with you. Once again, thank you uh, for listening. This was the Baseball America Dynasty podcast.